Hey everybody, this is Rafe Kelch, and this is episode 76 of Have Not Seen This, a weekly in-depth look at a much-beloved movie, selected specifically by our guest, that they're a little surprised when they find out people have not seen. Hope everyone is having a great week out there. I'm so excited for you to listen to this week's movie discussion, which is, as I announced on Monday, The Way Way Back, a movie from 2013, independent picture. Fox Searchlight released it, and uh, it it had been on my radar when it originally came out, but just had kind of fallen by the wayside uh, until it was brought up by this week's guest, who is Mike Burton from the Genuine Chit Chat podcast. I met him through one of the podcasting groups I'm a part of, and uh, we hit it off. He recommended this film, and I loved it. And uh, we have a great discussion uh, about this movie, as well as our usual amount of tangents. So I hope you enjoy the discussion. We're going to get right into it with 2013's The Way Way Back. So you're not in America. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm not. (laughs) So I I think the the question I want to start with is, how do summer breaks tend to work over there, like for schools and that kind of stuff. Because I know here students traditionally have like two months off. Teachers have like two months off. Um, Is it, is it the same over there? More or less. We have more frequent breaks, but the summer break isn't as long. Like my, my girlfriend who I live with, um, she's a teacher. So she's now on her um, summer holidays. So they normally get it from, I think this is the first week she's actually been off. So she'll be off from now until like the first week of September. So it's about six weeks in the summer. And then we they have we have terms. So every um, a term is I'm trying to think. It's basically a half term. I think is six to eight weeks. And at the end of that, you get a week off, both teachers and students. Oh, and then <laughs> at the end of a full term, you normally get two weeks off. So it's basically from September to like I think Octobery time, you get a week off in October. And then the Christmas break, you get like two to three weeks off. Right. And then you get another one at like May. I think they get. I think March maybe is another bit, and then May. And then, uh, obviously, from July onwards, it's the big, big kahuna. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's it's pretty similar in a lot of ways. It's just, yeah, more frequent breaks, but the big break isn't. Because you guys get like 10, or in a certain place, get like 10 weeks or something. Correct, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, uh, I, I what did, first of all, what does your girlfriend teach? Uh, language. So, she teaches French and Spanish. Oh, so she, oh wow. <laughs> yeah, okay. very. She's far smarter than I am. <laughs> so, so, I'm I'm a high school English teacher, so I'm very familiar oh, nice. with summer breaks and such. Um and yeah, we we get um, we don't have it that way. I'm, I'm listening to you going, boy, that would be nice to have a break after each term, or, or, or you know that 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 would be phenomenal. Uh, yeah, we have um, winter break. We're not allowed to call it Christmas break, of course. Uh, mm. We have winter break, which is like two weeks, and then we have spring break, which is like a week, and then we have mm. ten weeks off during the summer. Yeah, yeah, I see. Yeah, because and yeah, because I, I remember hearing. Oh, I know off spring break due to cultural things, right? Uh, and whatnot. <laughs> so it's it's everywhere. You can't really escape. It's one of those funny things, being especially someone who's English, because we know everything that's going on in America next to. Whereas, like generally speaking, a lot of Americans don't have the same idea of because it's kind of like america's got a big spotlight on all the time uh which is not a dig at you or any americans i think it's more that we want the spotlight on us all the time (laughs) which probably shouldn't be on us anymore (laughs) the loudest kid in the room (laughs) exactly exactly um yeah and the summers over there are not as hot as they are here because i was uh, like you're saying her break starts now like my break has i have two two and a half weeks left on my break and then i go back Mm. to school but we're in the hottest part of of the summer now, so it's it's mm-hmm. kind of nice to to 
not have to worry about being outside. Um, but your summers are not as hot. The, the one, the trip I've been able to make to England was in August and it was during an unseasonably warm summer. Um, <laughs> Which was a bummer because I didn't realize that was that was my big learning experience. You nothing there is air conditioned. No, nothing like, at all except the odd supermarket, like Asda, that's owned by Walmart. That's got air conditioning, right? <laughs> so there's a few supermarkets. Houses are not right. very few, but some working places are. But yeah, our houses we just have to put fans on when we get our. We probably get about eight weeks over the entire year of really, really hot weather. Right. Normally a bit in spring, one or two randomly in like autumn slash fall, and then the rest are kind of sprinkled around in the summer. Uh, so yeah, we do not, <laughs> we do not get uh, that hot weather. Not like you guys do. Or, yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. We um the, the the locals told us it had been just ridiculously hot there when we were visiting, and it was just like our hotel wasn't air conditioned. Uh, you know, none of the pubs are air conditioned. No, nowhere we were going. The only place that we went to on the trip uh was the movie theater we went and saw mm. uh it was guardians of the galaxy opening weekend and oh, we nice. went to the the royal imax theater at which point i promptly fell asleep through the movie because it was the first place we'd been to that was actually a comfortable temperature <laughs> <laughs> that is a classic thing especially with parents as well like as in when someone goes uh to especially when you're in the heat and if you're having to deal with people or anything like that it's like oh this is it's quiet. There's no kids yelling. That I can just kind of, apart from the cinema, that you can kind of tune out. Right. It's the perfect temperature. Just you can fall asleep. There's no judgment. You get a couple of hours. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I totally get that. But yeah, we've been dealing with a heat wave. Um, not this week. The week before, we we had a heat wave where it was just yeah in the evenings. It's awful because yeah, mm. no one has aircon and because it, the it's not really worth the investment a lot right. of the time. Right. Uh, so yeah, we're not we're not equipped for it, and we're moaners anyway. By as a culture of people, <laughs> we just all kind of complain. It's, oh, it's always raining and miserable and we've always got overcast oh now it's too hot and it's too warm and everything we're never happy really. <laughs> so so as a kid um what were summer breaks like for you like did you did you have family vacations or was it just hey we're not in school or, or what was that like for you yeah well so oh there's two parts to that the first part is i have been to america once uh in the summer break um which i went with uh megan which is my girlfriend's name and her family went to mexico and it was lovely because you leave mexico and it's sweltering heat you walk into the hotel room or anywhere and it's so much air conditioning so that was right. delightful <laughs> want to add that in um but we're general with uh six weeks holidays and that's what we call it summer holidays whatever um usually i would my parents would usually take me away for something uh somewhere in europe you know traveling from England to Europe cost wise is I think fairly similar to you guys when you fly domestically to another state it's like right, right. between 30 and maybe a hundred dollars you know over here it's a similar uh, sort of thing of pounds so we would go to um there are certain places in Spain or Italy places like that where we would go but usually my summer breaks um I would normally go to places that are like um you guys have them over there like summer camps there's mm-hmm. a show called Beaver Falls I've seen where it's just you know you go there and you do outdoor activities for a while i would normally do them um i wouldn't necessarily stay over um it would normally be in the morning get a bus or a coach down there do activities for the day you know orienteering kayaking um rock climbing that, that sort of thing that that would be the most part and the most people i speak to is generally yeah a few family holidays here and there people like to travel in inside the uk to like coastal towns uh or the lake district places like that where you've got water <laughs> somewhere <Right. laughs> um or you get a few city breaks and things but generally speaking i'd say they're more of a weekend thing because obviously in the uk we're talking to, i was talking to a friend of mine who's uh, american on monday and it's like for us from the bottom of england to where scotland is it will be including stops 
10 maybe 15 hours mm-hmm. like that's like the length relatively of the uk like it's very rare to take longer than like four or five hours to really get where you need to go right um whereas obviously in america it's completely different like certain places in the <laughs> south you're like or even not even the south but places a bit more remote it's like oh there's a gig nearby how near five hours for us it's like <laughs> oh there's a gig nearby where like 40 minutes like, right you know half an hour maybe <laughs> so the time difference i know is very different for you guys of like just the scale you guys have so much space and we've been you know a little nation for thousands of years just building on top of the same bits of land so aside from a lot of fields and forests it's just like everything's kind of squidged together right which i actually loved when i was visiting there like that that appealed to me that that idea of everything being kind of pulled together um so my my summer breaks were they 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 weren't this movie but they were like there were definitely trips to the beach um, mm. now we used, we usually would go to a very non-touristy beach locations. So it really was just kind of enjoying the beach. It certainly wasn't the experience in the movie we're about to discuss, but that, that part kind of connected with me. I mean, we would, we'd go for like a week and I, the, the one issue with this movie is there's no real sense of scale of how much time passes while they're on this trip. It's gotta be, yeah. uh, it's gotta be a couple of weeks at least. So yeah, I get um, the impression they were there for the, they were meant to be there for the whole summer or right. the very large majority and obviously gets cut short a bit yeah we'll get <laughs> just a but bit. like yeah so it is one of those things where i, I agree with you it is yeah i'm unsure but but i so we'd go to the beach for like a week during the summer okay so uh two more questions before we kind of get into the movie one mm. what are you on a scale of one oh. to ten mm. Well, which is like one of the most awkward ways to open oh. a movie ever by the way but we'll, get into, we'll get into that in a minute but uh, <laughs> what what do you well, how, how do you hold yourself i would say i would like to be humble and say a seven i think i'm an eight like okay. not appearance wise necessarily i think that's i'm quite average appearance but i just think <laughs> i think because i used to be like a four like i both in appearance and personality and i think that comparing myself to basically duncan in this film from that age to now i've jumped up a lot right. um so I, I would between a seven and eight i'd say it, it depends on what i want to go for more like i'm quite uh i'm quite going i'm quite I, i'm charismatic i make sound I sound like i'm such a dick talking about myself <laughs> like this but i'm so great in every way guys everyone loves me they, everyone doesn't love me that's that's completely not true um i think maybe maybe an eight i think my closest friends and the people who like me the most would say an eight i think the people who don't like me quite as much would veer more to a, a high six or a seven. <laughs> so maybe what day you get me on, I'd say would be for me. What, what about yourself? What would you give you? I, I, I think I'd, I'd probably give that exact same answer. Like, you know, I'm certainly, I'm definitely not a 10. Um, no. I have my, my good qualities and my bad qualities, but I'd say, especially like on a good day, I'm a high seven, I'm an eight. Uh, I think people who don't like me would probably rank me significantly lower. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so last question. Uh, the podcast is called Have Not Seen This. We're talking about movies that we're surprised people have not seen. Uh, what are your have not seen this movies? What are movies you have not seen that surprise other people? Well, I like to call myself a film buff, which is always bad, because the moment you call yourself a film buff, everyone throws every famous movie ever at you that you've not seen. Oh, God, <laughs> so... yeah. When when people used to find out when I was working professionally as a film critic, and the second you say that, they're like, oh, did you see this? And it's like, no. Well, have you seen this? No. Well, how are you a film critic? Because there's like millions of movies out there, and you named <laughs> two that I haven't seen. <laughs> exactly. I've, I've got a film list on our wall. We've got 100 film lists. It's like a scratch off, like a scratch card thing. Right. And then you watch a movie, scratch it off. So we're trying to get through all the big boys. But like, 
Citizen Kane's a big one. Uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Uh-huh. Um, Alfred Hitchcock, like, I've seen The Birds, but I haven't... I know the plot of Psycho, because everyone does, but I haven't seen that. So I think it's mainly big classic films right. that have a lot of weight to them in culture. I just haven't quite gone back. Like, I've got older brothers, so I've seen a lot of Kuwaitis movies like Aliens and Terminator and that sort of jazz. And then 90s, I was born in the 90s, so, like, I've seen a lot of those big hitters like Shawshank Redemption, Matrix, you know, obviously Jurassic Park, etc. But there are just <laughs> weird little caveats of just bits I haven't seen. So I think it's anything before probably the 80s I, I've there's a really big film I haven't seen that many of like there's, there's like 12 Angry Men that's on the list and Casablanca oh. like films like that that I do want to watch but also the problem is with a lot of older films is that well, I say problem is that they're so long and it's just it's like a big investment it's like I really want to see, like the Green Mile I've seen the Green Mile it's great but it's like three hours and it's like I want to rewatch it but finding three hours right. to watch a film I've already seen and then when it goes to older films because older films can be quite you know Citizen Kane I've got some mates who are like it's one of the best movies ever like a lot of people call it but other people go it's good but it's not three hours long the best film ever you'll see and it's like I don't know I understand I, 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 I've not seen Citizen Kane yet either that's like my biggie um, you know, there, there were a couple other big ones that are kind of like on the AFI 100 movies that I hadn't seen. I, I've started kind of whittling away at those, but Citizen Kane remains kind of the one I just, and, and my, I think my biggest obstacle with it is I'm afraid I'm going to be disappointed. I and the same. <laughs> there's a, a podcast I listened to that was making their way through the AFI 100 films, uh, called Unspooled and the, one of their first episodes, they did Citizen Kane. And they both had kind of that same expectation of, is it really as good as everybody says? And they walked away from it going, uh, yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but like Lawrence of Arabia, uh, you know, same, same deal. Like it's four hours long or three and a half. I, like, I, I just don't have that kind of time to commit to him. Like I haven't watched Zack Snyder's cut of the Justice League because I don't want to devote that kind of time. If I do want to devote that kind of time, I'm going to watch Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> Yeah, well, I've seen Justice League. I really enjoyed it, to clarify. My girlfriend did not enjoy it. I had to um, really beg to spend four hours. We had to put a whole day aside to watch it. Right, right. You know, we literally like, okay, here's the Saturday. We're going to watch the Snyder Cut. With bre- It's got, like, chapters, so you can kind of take breaks without cutting through the film. But it's like, we had, like, two breaks in the film. And so it took, like, five hours to watch the whole thing. And it, I really enjoyed it. Megan uh, did not. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's well, I totally get where, where you're coming from. And I think, oh, here's another one, Good Will Hunting. That's, that's a really big I good haven't film. seen that one either. Yeah, that's there on my go. list. We're the same. That's sorted. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't even need to talk. No, I'm joking. Well, another one that I had not seen is the pick you made for this week, which is The Way Way Back from 2013, written and directed by Nate Faxon and Jim Rash, starring Steve Carell, Tony Collette, Allison Janney, Anna Sophia Robb, Sam Rockwell, Maya Rudolph, and Liam James. Duncan, on a scale of one to ten, what do you think you are? A six. I think you're a three. Since I've been dating your mom, I don't see you putting yourself out there, bud. You can try to get that score up at my beach house this summer. Who's this in all his awkward glory? This is my son, Duncan. I was going to name my youngest Duncan, but we went with Peter. Finally, fix his lazy eye. Now it's even worse. Boop, boop, mom. Just stare at the bridge of his nose. That's what I do. You're the worst parent. There's a message in the skies and in the streets. Heads up, buddy. You need to wear that. Mom, why do I have to wear this? Nobody else does. Sexier, huh? Something like that. It's like spring break for adults. This is Joan and Kip. I'm the one who's not grinding on you right now. (laughs) Enjoy therapy. I'm going to have to ask you to leave. You're having way too much fun. It's making everyone uncomfortable. Wow. I'm just kidding. That wasn't even my best stuff. Come on. Just hold there for a sec. It's 
as an artist. Watch and learn. And you are holding, still holding, just about ready to hold. You think it's over now. I need you to reorder more mats. Did it? Finish the work schedule for next week. Did it? So you know I'm going to check all that stuff, right? Oh, in that case, I didn't do any of that. How do you make more money than I do? That's the one you wait for, my man. I need somebody to do some odd jobs, clean up some vomit. Definitely. Does your mom know you work here? Who's that big guy? Is this a girl? What are you doing over here talking to us? Well, maybe, Roddy, if you guys hadn't called me over here. Oh. Please let your lady friend know that this conversation was entirely about her. Where have you been? Nowhere. It's a long time to be nowhere. Well, that's where I was. Duncan, if we were going to make this work, then there has to be trust. Mom's boyfriend called me a three. Who says that to somebody? That's about him. That's got nothing to do with you. How do you know? Because I know. You gotta go your own way. And you, my friend, are going your own way. This is the only place I'm happy. My doctor said not to get water on my face! Come on! You got a hell of a kid here. Please hold, hold there. What a cost! I, I boy, I, 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 I like want to immediately start gushing about things, and I'm afraid I'll a I'll never let you talk, and b we won't get to to some of the stuff I do want to talk about. I just up front, I was I was prepared to to not like this movie, which is weird because I when you picked it, I was like. Now there's a movie I haven't thought about in years, and I I had never seen. I remember hear remembered hearing about it when it came out. It got a little bit of awards attention here and there, not from the Oscars. And when it started, I, I, like I I even put in my notes that I know the audience is supposed to connect with this awkward kid, but as an adult, as as a middle aged adult, I was looking at the relationship between. His name is Trent. I'm going to refer to him throughout the rest of the episode as asshole because that's what I put in my notes until I finally <laughs> yeah. figured out his name. But the relationship between asshole and this kid's mom, you know, because mm. I, I, at first I didn't know if it was stepfather or boyfriend or whatever. But like as a middle aged adult who has had to go through dating a woman who has kids. And I have my own son, and I so I have certain expectations of if I'm dating someone once they finally meet my son, how that that is going to go. I was, I was so busy being appalled at that on screen, I couldn't connect with the kid. So I was, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this is going to be problematic, and it's not the film's fault. It's it's me. It's the baggage that I'm bringing to watching this. And I got to tell you, that disappeared about half an hour into the movie, and I loved this film like you you said that you picked a phenomenal movie for a lot of reasons that we'll get into but i just i I can't i just wanted up front to tell you man this one blew my mind it's one of those films where whenever i choose it i try not to hype it too much because if i say this is the best movie ever i don't think it's the best movie ever but if i say you know i sometimes tell people it's one of my favorites right and that's about all and i just go it's a people film don't expect a comedy don't expect ridiculous drama it's just a film about people it's like a snapshot of someone's life and i tell them that sam rockwell's in it and i love sam rockwell like i'm in love with sam rockwell i'm a heterosexual man i literally (laughs) am in love with sam rockwell he is the greatest man ever um but like when i saw that i saw this from ages ago my my brother mentioned it to me uh, because i saw the trailer i was like okay i'll go watch it and i saw it i was like 
what? This no, why is no one talking about this? It's phenomenal. The cast, everything about it. And then I talk to people and no one's seen it. And every person I've recommended this film says they either really enjoyed it or absolutely loved it. And it's one of those films I've got like kind of hidden away under my belt. And it's like, if anyone asks me for film recommendations, anyone who's a film buff, I can almost guarantee they haven't seen this film. Mm-hmm. And I can almost guarantee they'll really enjoy it. But I don't tell them that. Because if I do, the expectation will be too high. I've got to, got to play it tactfully with the way, way back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, th- I think part of my expectation was you look at that cast list and like Tony Collette doesn't quite fit in that cast list because you've got Steve Carell, Allison Janney, Sam Rockwell, Maya Rudolph. That's... That tends to be very outlandish, over-the-top comedy. And and this is not that. It it's no. it it has comedic moments, but it's it's a rather serious picture a, mm. a lot of the time. It's it's a s- serious story told with comedic moments in it that are not done like superficially. They are like honest moments that just happen to elicit laughter. Uh, um, I, I think I think the script, uh, again written by Nate Faxon and Jim Rash, and I didn't realize Jim Rash had had written and directed this. So when he showed up, like that made it into my notes. It's like, oh, I always love to see Jim Rash. Jim Rash, he's playing Lewis. He's playing the loser guy who's just always there and wants to quit and doesn't quit. Like, what a perfect role. And still quirky, he makes the comment, like, the guy says about sleeping with his mom, and he's like, well, I don't have a mom, I have two dads, so there. And it's just like, little, just, that's that's so what I'm used to from Jim Rash from things like uh, Community. Yeah. And then when I discovered that he wrote this, it's like, damn. <laughs> the, the worst part about this film, I'll say, is the fact that I can't find another film directed and written by both uh, Jim Rash and uh, Nat, Nat Faxon, I've written his name down. Yeah, Nate Faxon. Um, Nate Fax and there you go. So it's like these two people. I was like, because it says well, it will get when we get into the algorithms, it will go into this. But the, the <laughs> studio has made other films right. that are similar in vein to this, um, which I won't go into because it'll come up in the algorithm, and I don't want to seem like I'm cheating. Um, but like <laughs> the films, and so you've seen a couple of films in in similar veins. I think this is one of the best people films I've I've ever seen. But like. I was like, oh man, this is so good. And when I really got into it, you know, it was like eight years ago, I was like, oh, I can't wait to watch. You know, I love getting into movies and being like, oh man, this director's made 10 other films. Like when I got into David Fincher or Danny Boyle, anyone like that, I was like, yes, look at all these amazing films. Danny Boyle's made so many bangers. And then you look at this and go, oh, they've never made something together right. before Nate, since. And Nate like, Faxon did this and then did some television. Yeah. And and he has a film in production right now, but that's, you know, especially with COVID, who knows how, how long it'll be before that actually sees the light of day, if ever. So, um, yeah, and if yeah. he's not with Jim Nash, there's like, because uh, I feel like when you get two directors together, it's a lot of the time like Gold Dust, you know, The Matrix, ignoring the sequels, I do enjoy them. But, you know, The Matrix 1 is like a golden movie in a sense where mm-hmm. it's just they did not everything, but so many things right. And that was obviously the Wachowski brothers, now the Wachowski sisters. You get certain <laughs> duos, the Ru- the Russo brothers, who made, you know, the Avengers, well, Captain America 2 and 3, and then Infinity War and Endgame. Right. Those are big, gold standard sort of films. So when you get two directors, it's sometimes they can fall off the wagon a little bit. Coen brothers are quite hit and miss in certain ways, but they still hit bangers. But like, if when they split and you get those, like a, a duo and they make one film... I, it's very rare for me to find an example um, of where, yeah, there's a duo, one of them makes a film by themselves, and it's as good as 
right. one when they were together because you kind of need I feel like with people like that they need to, one of them's the more serious one who's really good at dialogue but the other one's a bit more funny and makes things more this way or that and you kind of balance it in a certain way so yeah. I, I would like I'm going to watch whatever that film will be but I, I don't think it's going to be as good as Way Way Back because this is like uh, gold in a bottle gold? storm, lightning in a bottle that's the term <laughs> <laughs> whatever the metaphor is we'll take it yeah. um, so you kind of already answered my opening questions about how you describe this to someone who's not seen it um, What so what is your history with this movie you said you you saw it uh you didn't see it in 2013 i guess at the theater because you said you would put you'd you'd put it on tv yeah i I wanted to watch um it was one of those films where ex machina did this as well where the trailer came out and i was like i love ex machina one of my favorites and i was like oh i need i saw the trailer i was like this one looks quite cool i'll watch it and then it was in the cinema for like a week or two right because it's such a small film and obviously costs loads of money to have films in theaters and stuff so it was like oh i need to watch that and it's off my radar forever and so for about a year or so um it was just disappeared and then my older brother who's i've got two older brothers one of them is 17 years older than me so it's one of the reasons i've seen so many cool (laughs) 80s films he just shows me all the best movies right um yeah so like he showed me um same dad different mum um so i didn't live with him throughout my life but i have a good relationship with both my brothers and so he told me about this film and was like oh you need to watch this it's really good um, and stuff so i was like okay i'll give it a go and then yeah i think he either lent it to me or i watched it with him i can't remember exactly what because this was about a year or so after it came out so this was you know seven plus years ago um you know which being COVID, before covid times is a million years bc um, so it's just it's, it's one of those things so i watched it once and i was like oh this is brilliant i need to show some of my friends this so i, I showed i then showed a couple of my mates i was with um and some of them are quite critical when it comes to films and they all loved it and i was like so i went on this spree of showing people so i watched it like five times in the space of like a year or two mm-hmm. which doesn't sound like that much you know when kids get obsessed with films watch the same from day after day but when you're more of an adult watching it that frequently it can it happened with scott pilgrim i did the same with that and then i just didn't watch it for ages and then every now and then like i'll just be like if i meet somebody who hasn't seen it i'm like you need to watch it and like with my girlfriend megan she hadn't seen it and it was one of the first films i got her to watch as a couple you know this was years ago now so i watched it then and then it's just one of those things. Any excuse to watch it, because it's not that long. It's no. not, you know, it's one of those films that kind of fits most moods. If you're in a bit more of a funny mood, it's got enough comedic in. If you want something more serious, it just has a good balance. So I just watched it loads when I first saw it and then didn't for a while. Went on a hiatus. And now I've kind of come into the renaissance again because I think I've watched it like three times in the last couple of years. <laughs> so, I, I can't wait to watch it again, honestly. It's almost better the second time, genuinely. It's one of those films. It kind not gets better every time, but the second watch it's almost as good as the first watch in so many ways. And you pick up on loads of little connective things that are like foreshadowing that I really enjoy. I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, Taking a look real quick at the critical reviews because they bring up some of the things I definitely want to make sure we talk upon. Um, It sits at 83% at Rotten Tomatoes, 68% at Metacritic. I don't understand the divide between that. That's that's odd that it's such a big divide there. Um, The negative review comes from A.A. Dowd, uh, from the AV Club, and he writes, It soon becomes clear, however, that The Way Way Back is only interested in the tough stuff of youth insofar as it provides a good setup for the revenge of the nerd triumphs to come. That would be okay if the movie weren't just a transparently manufactured underdog story, one populated almost exclusively by archetypes. Settling into the beach community where he'll spend the summer, spring break for adults, one of the local co- locals calls it, James encounters a kind of checklist of colorful but familiar characters. Bitchy teen girl? Check. Sensitive teen girl? Check. Wacky, profane little kid? Check. 
His shelter from the storm arrives in the form of an anachronistic water park built in 1983 and unchanged since, where a screwball mentor figure, Sam Rockwell, takes the chronically uncool kid under his wing. Just about everyone and everything in the way, way back feels programmed, as though the film were written using Mad Libs. And just as they did in The Descendants, Faxon and Rash confuse snark for wit, their overwritten banter gets the best of even Alice and Janney, reduced here to an exhausting one-liner machine. And this is one of those negative reviews where I go, did he even watch the same movie that I watched? Because I don't even understand his revenge of the nerd triumphs to come type thing, because that would imply that, like, there's some evil force to overcome that everybody rallies together to to beat the, the bad fraternity. That That's not in this movie. No, it's it's one of those weird things where I feel like when people have that kind of review of a film, I'm, I would more so like to speak to this person and go, so what films do you like? And then if they, they're... I, Maybe I'm assuming here, but I feel like that's the kind of person who hates the majority of films unless they're like really specific art house films. Mm-hmm. Like I like a lot of art house films. There's some really cool ones. Let the Right One In is quite a good mm-hmm. one, but then I've seen quite a few that are a bit too too art housey. There's one called Under the Skin with Scarlett Johansson. It's a good concept. Didn't quite land for me, but it's cool. And I just think there's certain people who, if it's not the most unique or the most art housey film you've ever seen in your life. It can't possibly be good. And it's, yeah, I don't, I don't agree with that at all, if I'm well, honest. And he berates The Descendants. It's not the first time in his review that he does that. And I find that interesting because The Descendants is the script that Rash won his Oscar for. <laughs> so he's blasting this Oscar winning script uh, from, from these same authors uh the positive side uh from peter travers from rolling stone writes the movie is packed with characters all wonderfully acted alice and janney kills as an oversexed neighbor anna sophia rob is lovely as the older girl duncan crushes on maya rudolph and faxon and rash themselves are riots as employees at a tacky water park it's here that duncan bonds with owen sam rockwell the rebellious park manager rockwell an actor at the tip top of his game is phenomenal mad funny and touching You won't want to leave these characters behind. I'd rate this dream of a comedy a 10 out of 10, but I don't want to jinx it. People like to throw stones at perfect scores, so I took out half a star. Big lie. I loved every minute of it. Um, And and the thing that he hits on there that I I definitely and I kind of alluded to earlier is big cast, as you said, but every single one of them is phenomenally used. Like... There is not a wasted cast member. I made the comment earlier, you know, that if you looked at the cast list, it looks like it's probably going to be this over-the-top zany comedy, and Tony Collette seems like an odd choice in there. And it's not that kind of movie, and Tony Collette is perfect for the part that she has to play. Steve Carell is perfect for the part that he has to play. And, I mean, Alice and Janney, like, I, I put in my notes, Alice and Janney is so perfect. You know, in that first scene where she shows up and she's coming out and she's hitting on, she's hitting on every everybody. Line, every line of from the first scene you see Alice and Janney in, I've said I said one because we rewatched it on um on, well, a couple of days ago, and it was just like every fir- every line she has for the first five minutes of her screen time could almost be its own joke by itself. Right. But they're so weirdly dark in certain ways, but also she's just saying them in a fun way, and it's like they've just married them together so well. Right. And it's and it's not the one liner machine that the negative review said. It's that it's it's that it's what she's saying, but as you said, it's also how she's saying it. You put a different actress in that part and you're not going to get the same laugh per I don't know whatever the same mileage out of the line uh, Janney is just so perfect in the way she delivers it Maya Rudolph is phenomenal in this role that apparently was barely a character in the movie 
and the, it originally was supposed to be like a teenage girl working at the water park, and then they built up the part a little bit more. And then when they cast her, they said, look, she doesn't say a lot. You guys are just going to have to kind of imply what the relationship between these characters are with your actions. And and, and that that's even beautiful. I mean, it's just, it is, it, I, there's, there's not a cast member here who is wasted. Uh, and, and every one of them is just absolutely used to the best of their ability. Yeah, and I think one of the things that strikes me the most um, with this film is that everyone is used sparingly in the right way. Yeah. In a sense of, I view it as one of the most perfect encapsulations of real life because I feel like there's so many elements in this film which people can relate to in different ways. But it's not in the standard film. Like, there's a lot of films I love, but when you get a relationship, you find out every single possible caveat and every detail about a relationship whenever they're on screen. You don't get that with these things. You have to kind of read between the lines. You kind of, you see you see people in this how a normal person would see people i have friends in my life i only know what happens in their relationship by either what they tell me or but glimpses i see but the majority of their relationship when it's the true form in air quotes is behind closed doors when i'm not around when no one's around it's just the two of them Mm -hmm. and you don't see that in real life because you don't get to see how people act naturally and in this film i think what they did very very well is that you get to see how people act when there's other people around and you get to see when how people act like when people think no one's quite looking, but you're still in company, those little moments, the side looks or the body language, those little things that you can only really pick up on if you're trying to find them. Mm-hmm. And I think that builds around every character. every character. And I think there's so many times where if you, as you kind of alluded to earlier, if you stripped it down and looked at the amount of screen time and lines every character has, I think one would be surprised by how little certain characters show by how much you feel like you know them, if you know what right. I mean. Right. Well, and I I was reading like Steve Carell filmed all of his footage for this movie in like 10 days. And I was like, how is that even possible? He's in so much the movie. But then the more I thought about it, it's he's not in so much Mm -hmm. the movie. His presence is felt in Mm -hmm. so much of the movie, but he's not even there, which is an amazing thing. And that's and that's kind of like, as I said, I mean, they they from the from the first line of the movie. They establish that this character is just an asshole. Who asks a 14-year-old boy on a scale of 1 to 10, what do you think you are? And then rejects their answer and puts them at a 3. I mean, who does that? It's it's awful. It, it's, it's like... It's funny because we've, uh, me and lots of my friends talk about the, the worst characters in films and stuff. And there's normally a good example is Harry Potter, which is Voldemort is evil. You don't like Voldemort, but he's a good character and stuff. But people hate Umbridge right. far more than they hate Voldemort because of that. You know, Voldemort is bad. He doesn't pretend to be anything else. You can see what Voldemort is. He even looks evil. Umbridge tries to act like she's good when she's clearly sadistic and awful. And I think it's kind of this character, Trent, which I to, I've seen him so many times, I never remember his name either. <laughs> but like, he is the worst because it's like everyone has met someone like that in their life, whether it's a boss, whether it's a friend's partner. Someone's had an interaction with someone who's like that in some degree. And I think that, once again, these characters in the bad review are like the archetypes uh, overused or whatever. And it's like, no, no, no. What it is is these are so close to real people, you feel like you already know them because you've met... I'd say most people by their 20s have probably met like 70% of the kind of people you meet in this film. That's an interesting theory. I I don't think you're wrong either. (laughs) It's it's just one of those things I've been thinking about a lot when I was preparing for the podcast and things. And I was just like thinking of it in a critical lens. And I was like, 
I've been in a lot of these situations, although I'm an extrovert, and even when I was like 14, I was nothing like Duncan at all. There are so many scenes that I have lived through, you know, mm-hmm. whether it be like, there's one bit which is the the dinner party where he or dinner table where he's there and he's got his mum and Trent and then the other couple Kip and uh, Joan and they're just having a laugh and he's just sat there and like most kids have at least once in their life mm-hmm. been at a situation and it's not because the adults are being dicky or anything it's just sometimes you're with your parents they start drinking a little bit or whatever getting jolly and you're just not in the conversation because trying to have a conversation that works between four adults and a 14 year old there's right. not that much you can always do to make everyone happy and i've been in that situation i was like i've been there but i'm not duncan but i I know what it feels like to be in that situation and i just think this movie does that with a lot of the awkward moments like things you have to do or things you're involved in that make you feel uncomfortable generally speaking we've been in a lot of those regardless of what kind of person you are and i think that's why it hits for so many people on so many different levels because we can see ourselves in certain elements of this movie without us necessarily feeling like the characters in this movie if you know what i mean right well and and i i realized that the part that i connected with as far as duncan is when i realized um like he goes and he he sneaks into the neighbor's shed and he steals the bike and he uses that that's his first trip out to the water park and then and then he does it again and i realized his goal for this summer has been to stay away as much as possible Mm -hmm. which I've been there. Like I, I, I remember a, a part in high school where I signed up for every extracurricular activity or whatever I could do because it kept me away from home. Like mm-hmm. that way I didn't have to socialize with my family. So I could understand that. But I also found it a really interesting concept contrasted with what is said in that opening scene when they're talking about the what are you and Steve Carell tells him, I think you're a three. Your mom says you just always, you never leave the house, you never do anything. And it's like, now he wants to get away. It's not that he wants to do stuff because Steve Carell's character told him to because Steve Carell's character is an asshole. But it's because he doesn't want to be near that character. So inadvertently, he's doing the very thing that that his his mother's boyfriend wanted him to do and yet his mother's boyfriend has an issue with it because now he's exactly. not communicating to them or he's just he's just you know disappearing for hours upon end and and I don't I didn't get I did write that down about halfway through the movie it's like he still hasn't told them about the job like he's gotten a paycheck now presumably he had to cash that paycheck somehow but he still hasn't told his parents his his mother about having this job he's just disappearing every day and i was like why is that and i don't think i ever came up with an answer for that question but at the same time it didn't like it didn't bother me i don't think it's like a hanging thing that this filmmakers didn't address i just think why not tell them about the job like this is why i'm not home well i think the because i was thinking of something similar when um anna sophia rob's character um susanna she says um, when he says you know i'm going off and she kind of asks him what he's doing and he doesn't tell her and she's like okay have your secret and then she kind of you know follows him and eventually finds out there's a conversation that she has with him and he says and she says um keep it as yours or something like keep it as yours and i think that's kind of the hint of like trent essentially anything he goes near he ruins because he's an asshole and it's that kind of thing where he's got this nice way to be himself and he's not being judged or told what to do in the wrong way. Sam Rockwell, what I love about his character is what he tries to do 
obviously he's he become he's quite a dickish at the start to Mayor Rudolph, but he eventually learns by the end. Right. But it's that kind of thing of he's trying to be the mentor, the fun guy, trying to bring out anyone who's an introvert. Just kind of come out, be yourself. It's cool, like the kid with a lazy eye. His interactions are just saying, your lazy eye is amazing. I would use that for comedy all the time. Like trying to make kids not feel so nervous and introverted and scared and just being like, look, I'm goofy, I'm weird, I'm crazy, I'm at 150%. If you just raise yourself up by another 10%, no one's going to notice and you're going to be happier. So I think it's kind of that that element that he wants to have his own little way and kind of come out of his shell without the fear of something kind of getting him and making him retract again. So I want to ask for clarification on something you just said. Do you think Sam Rockwell's character is trying to be a mentor or do you think he's just trying to play with these kids and get them to come out and inadvertently becomes a mentor? I think it's more so the the latter of what you okay. said. I think I think I don't think he's trying to be a mentor in the sense of overtly being like right, I need to make sure these kids. I think he's just kind of trying a bit he's not being serious enough and that's obviously where the friction comes with him and Mayor Rudolph he's just trying to be the fun guy all the right. time and he's not trying to be the serious part of becoming an adult is knowing when you can be serious and when you can be silly and when you kind of have to you know put the foot down or you know whatever you have to sometimes you have to do stuff that is serious even if it's not fun and I think Sam Rocco at the start of this movie is just he doesn't have that he's just trying to be fun all the time and obviously when you're a kid or when you're a teenager and you meet an adult who isn't acting like an adult, you generally gravitate towards them a lot because it's like, oh man, you're the cool adult. You're not like right. other ones. <laughs> so it's like, oh cool, I can just be a cool, fun kid and I can say swear words and you're not going to tell me off. You know, that that sort of way. Because I've got older brothers who have been like that, you know, that sort of thing. where I can get away with loads of stuff with them, but not around my mum, for example. So I, I think that he doesn't try. I think he maybe towards the end kind of realises a bit more. And that's one aspect I like is I think every character in this film has a journey as well, um, which is answering. I've just answered a question and added a tangent at the same time. <laughs> <It's> so <okay. laughs> no, what you I, will. I, I find that an interesting answer, though, because I, I think Steve Carell also tries to be the cool dad mm. um, in his own way. Like when they first get to the beach and they're getting stuff set up and he's making dinner and his daughter goes to leave. She grabs two beers off the counter from right in front of him. And mm-hmm. nothing is said about it. Like, and, and in my head, I'm like, oh, he thinks he's the cool dad because he'll let his kid drink while they're at the beach. But by contrast, and the contrast between Owen, which is Sam Rockwell's character, and Trent, who's the asshole, um, the contrast between them is just so beautifully done. Like, after Duncan has the, in, the, the conflict with, you know, he, he knows asshole is having an affair and everybody knows it at this point and why don't you do something about it and he runs away and go, ends up at the, the water park and there's a party going on. The way that Owen receives him there, that he he's so astute at reading people, whether it's the stupid kids in the line at the water park or whether it's Duncan and him just saying, oh, I guess you can you can stay you can hang out here for a little while. He doesn't ask what's going on. He doesn't ask um you know do you want to talk. He can he can just read that he, Duncan is having problems and he just needs to be somewhere else for now and so here's a place to be. And I just that to me was a beautiful moment and and so subtly acted by Sam Rockwell and yet so important to to the characters in the story. I agree completely. And that scene has one of my favorite moments. Almost every favorite moment of mine in this film is to do Sam Rockwell. There's one that's not, which is the big one. Um, but generally, it's worth well, two that aren't. But anyway, um, is when he doesn't let the kid have beer. 
And I think that's a really good moment because from that before that point, you just think Sam Rockwell will let anyone do anything all right. the time. But there's that little line. He's like, uh, no, you're too young for alcohol because he knows we get in trouble. And it's like that tiny amount of just being like, you can stay here, you can hang out with us, have as much fun, but don't you can't drink. You're like, you know, 10 or whatever. Or Duncan's 14, but I think that other kid's like 10 or 12. And that little air of responsibility is kind of the first time you kind of see it happen a little bit. Right. I think, I can't remember a little bit before that you see him, you know, cleaning and putting all the chairs in the wrong place. Um, but like, aside from that, <laughs> he came to open of... up the park because he wanted to see <laughs> yeah. what it was like, right? <laughs> yeah. Because exactly. that was kind of, that was subtly, that's his apology to Maya Rudolph's character for being a complete jerk the day before. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I love Sam Rockwell is one of my favorite actors ever, and I think he's always so underrated. And I yeah. just think like everything I've ever seen him in is he's either phenomenal or it's one of my favorite films. And yet there's still so many people who don't really know who he is. And I'm just like, he I don't think I've seen him in a bad movie. Or at least if he's in a bad movie, he's not bad in the movie. Okay. You may yeah. have seen more films I, than I, me. I'm I'm thinking like I did not care for Matchstick Men personally. I haven't seen that. Uh, and he's in that, but I don't remember whether he was part of my problem with it or not. It's a it's a Ridley Scott film, and what I've discovered over the years is that Ridley Scott lost me back in the seventies, early eighties. Like he just, I'm just not a fan of his contemporary stuff for the most part. He's he's made a couple of exceptions to that before anybody sends me any hate mail. Um, <laughs> and Iron Man two, he's in Iron mm-hmm. Man two, and he's not fantastic in a what's in a what's pretty much the the most mediocre of all the uh mcu movies <laughs> I, I agree with you. i think thor 2 and iron man 2 are probably my least favorite apart from captain marvel i'd say my least favorite mcu movies but i still like them they're, they're all right but it's not right. like yeah iron right. man 2 it's like meh i think sam rockwell could have been a lot better in the mcu given better material to work with i don't think he's yes. great in iron man 2 but i don't think it's his fault i think it's the material that he was given it just kind of didn't didn't give him the chance to shine so that's yeah, he's like a plot yeah. device isn't he he's just he's like just there just to make tony Stark kind of better in, in a way so he's just kind of like a bounce board almost it's yeah i agree completely that's a good uh, good comparison yeah Write a review, and then you can share it. With the world. In any social media platform. And then your friends see it, and you can share and discover new shows together. This is Steph, instigator of Pod Rev Day, Podcast Review Day. And I'm Andy from Inspired Money. And I'm Arielle of Earbuds Podcast Collective and CastBox. We're here to tell you everything you need to know about Pod Rev Day. Which is on the 8th of every month, of every year, of every century, of every... You get it. We are posting podcast reviews as part of hashtag Pod Rev Day Podcast Review Day. Because podcasters work their butts off and deserve to know how much they've impacted your lives. And you can do that through reviews. Even one star feels surprisingly <laughs> good. Does it? It lets you know that people are at least listening. Don't be a passive podcast listener. Write a review and tell your favorite creator what you love about their podcast or about a specific episode. And to participate, you just need to do one review. And we'll see you every eighth of the month. Pod Rev Day. Because podcasters deserve to hear it. Hashtag Pod Rev Day. P-O-D-R-E-V-D-A-Y. So one of my favorite moments, and then I'll let you talk about about yours because you apparently have quite a few of them. <laughs> one of one of my favorite moments is was the 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 quiet dinner that that uh, uh, asshole has been gone all day. Like like Duncan gets home from work and the car is missing from the driveway and they're sitting there at the dinner table and um, sitting and waiting and I, who knows how long they've been waiting and Tony Collette's mom just finally goes. 
all right, no, no sense in waiting. Let's eat. And the scene after that, when they're cleaning up in the kitchen and the daughter, his daughter, not her daughter, his daughter takes the dishes and starts trying to do the dishes instead of letting Tony Collette do them. And it's like, here is the closest in the entire movie that this group has come to acting like a family. And it's the mother and son and the other guy's daughter with the other guy gone. Mm-hmm. And it just, it, it, that was a beautiful moment. It speaks volumes because it just shows like she, the daughter is, for lack of a better word, she's a bitch. In, in the film, the only times you see her is when she's being horrible to Duncan or being the standard stuck up, you know, uh, girl you see in like every high school movie. Right. But then I think that really shows her because when she's not around her friends trying to impress them and when she's not in front of her dad, who's clearly, you know, a complete asshole, she is genuinely, she has the capacity to be a good person. Yeah, and, and she and she had just volumes. been a bitch two minutes before because when Duncan got home, that was the day that the neighbor girl went with him, uh, followed him, and that's they get home and she's a bitch about you know I I needed someone to talk to and where have you been you know but mm-hmm. yeah you're exactly right. yeah and I think it speaks volumes just when he's not in the picture everyone is better and I think that's the it, it's the sort of t- that's one of the turning points of the movie and and yeah. that is one of my favorite moments as well I, especially watching it this time I was like it's just that moment where yeah she takes over and she's not being forceful she just kind of more aggressively offers in a way she's just like kind of stands there watching you know tony collette do it and is like she's realizing like this woman hasn't done anything wrong she's just trying to be a provider she's just trying to be nice so the least i could do is just do a gesture of something small and you kind of see when the girl does it tony collette takes a step back and she's just got this little smile of just that yep. little thank you and because tony collette is a brilliant actress and she like how the he- like how badly could a meltdown over a game of Candyland have been done on film? Like that could have been that could have been a terrible performance. And in Tony Collette's hands, it is like you feel all of the emotion that that character is going through at that moment. And it is it is. I mean, as I said, there's not an actor wasted here. Like they all get their chance to shine, and they all are given incredible material to work with. Mm, i agree completely and it's with that scene again like most people have been have played a family game night and things go bad oh yeah. monopoly or something so everyone knows that feeling where it's just like it is just a game like even when trent's being a dick about it it's kind of like well he yeah duncan oh duncan inadvertently wasn't following the rules and no no just, no but duncan wasn't inadvertently following the rules he, his Tony mom Collette. was insisting that he that he not follow the rules and he was like i'll just do it here and then there's this big fight and it's like so you have to do that and duncan was like that's what i was already doing yeah exactly so he's kind of like they're fighting and he's caught up in it and once again like if a lot of kids you know my parents were great and stuff but there were points where they would have an argument and i would get the brunt of it they were never violent or anything i want to clarify they were just you know yelling a bit right but it was just sometimes you'd be sat doing nothing and then the the kind of anger swarm would come into where you are and then you'd be to blame and i'd be like and like my dad would be like you know oh we have an argument because of you and i was like i've not spoken to either of you for like three hours how are you arguing about me what have i done and it's little (laughs) moments of that were like oh no trent and my mum are having this big fight over a game that i didn't want to play playing a thing that i didn't want to do and now i'm kind of to like not to blame but i'm like the 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 reason for the argument yeah yeah yeah. But there's nothing you can do when you're a kid in that situation, is it? You just kind of like, uh, you can try and argue back, but that makes everything worse. <laughs> right, right. No, you just kind of have to sit and just endure it, which is what he does. Uh, exactly. So what are your some of your favorite moments? So I'd say um, I like, I mean, every, as I said, everything is Sam Rockwell, but I think my absolute top moment, apart from the very, very end, is, and it makes me like, 
I don't get, I don't cry at films almost like pretty much ever. The end of Forrest Gump can get me, but like, I don't really cry at films and I pretty much never cry happy. Like Hunt for the Wilder People, which is a film we sort of vaguely discussed, um, face messaging and things. That was all, that's like a close second for me, people movies, because the start of that is, it's got some happy, like the happy pressure in your chest. is like, if this gets much more intense, I may cry of happiness. When Sam Rockwell at the, near the end of the film, when the last time you see him and Trent's there, in the water park and then oh. he's like oh you're the three and then you watch him just stand in the way right and then trent tries to kind of grab uh duncan and sam rockwell is just in the way and he's just staring at him and then trent's like i'll go in the car and walks away it's like oh that that's what duncan needs he just needs someone to be on his side right and it's just that little like once again that could very easily be overacted you could have people constantly screw this whole film if you just turned everything up the energy by like 30 percent, every sad moment was sadder every happy moment was happier and every shouty moment was twice as long it would ruin the film yeah but because it's it's quite real and in real life most of the time most people aren't going to make a scene there are moments people do and obviously kids do but generally most people even when they're furious they don't necessarily want to make a scene but they're kind of this quiet rage and that's, I think, what this does quite well. And when Sam Rockwell is there, you know Sam Rockwell wants to kill Trent. You can see it like mm-hmm. he's got that kind of look like, please hit me. Like, if you hit me, it gives me the excuse to really hurt you. But he's just <laughs> in the way. And he's just like, it's your move. Like, I'm I'm here protecting Duncan. What are you going to do? And then Trent leaves. And I'm just like, yes. And you see Tony Collette's like, oh, this is the friend. This is why Duncan's been kind of coming out of his shell a little bit because he's got someone on his side. And that, I think, pushes towards the ending as well, where the whole film is just, Duncan just needs a cheerleader. And throughout well, this film, he slowly gets them. And and the the moment, see, I do cry at movies, like, easily. Uh, and the moment that, that brought me to tears, the first moment, and then the, the, I'll let you talk about the ending because that definitely got me as well. Um, the first moment that really elicited tears from me is when he runs to the water park there at the end mm-hmm. and the family comes in and they see his picture employee of the month and he looks so happy in that picture contrasted to how he's been the entire trip how we as the audience have seen him outside of the water park and we've seen him happy at the water park but a lot of the time that we saw him at the water park he was still awkward and uncomfortable and such but in that picture like he he had a line earlier like 10 15 minutes earlier in the film saying this is the only place where i'm happy and it felt like hyperbole. And then you see that picture and it's like, no, this is the place that he's legitimately happy. Yeah. And that, I mean, that broke powerful. my heart. I felt that. Yeah, I, I was pretty at that moment because from that moment on, I'm just like holding back, just, you know, feeling the pressure in your chest. Like if this gets much more intense. I'm going to be crying. And it just, yeah, you see that and you see how happy he is and you see that, like, the popularity, I think. Like, you get Maya Rudolph, like, talking over the intercom thing, saying, you know, oh, you know, I can't be condoning this because it's wrong, but Pop and Lock are doing this thing. Right. So, you know, and it's just, like, all these little moments where it's, like, everyone is supporting him at the water park, and that's all he ever needed. And I think that's why I enjoy this film so much and why it's so powerful for me, because it's just, like, most of the time with kids, they just need at least one person, be it a sibling or a parent or a cool uncle or even, like, a friend. Normally, someone who's a little bit older than them who is just kind of there to be like, life can be really shit, but you you can try and look at the positives. I'm here trying to be on your side. If you're sad or you've got doubts, talk to me. I can be there for you. Not literally that obvious, right? but there's that kind of thing where most people just need a friend, 
really. If people have just like one close person to them, especially when you're younger, it can really, really help. And it can make some really dark times less dark. And I think that that's one of the reasons that this movie really speaks to me in a lot of ways. I just, you know, I wasn't a very popular kid until, I've never been popular, but like I had very (laughs) few friends until I was like 13 or so. I mean, I was unbearable to be fair, but like I had almost (laughs) no friends until I was like a young teenager. So parts of me does recognize that sort of you, it's not always that you're the problem. Sometimes it's just that you aren't showing yourself enough in certain ways, but you understand why, because sometimes you show a bit yourself and someone's an asshole to you and then it just kind of closes off. And it's just the, tr- the transformations in this film are just every, I think almost every character not all of them are good transformations because obviously Trent goes from at the start you're like this guy's a dick and then he's just like oh maybe he's just being a dick to Duncan it's like no no he's just a piece of shit consistently but, for his entire life but but his journey is that he's a dick who's been uncovered at the end exactly. of the film <laughs> everybody exactly. knows that he's a dick alright let's talk about the end of it the uh, because I, I told you um, the, the first part of the movie, I was a little distracted. I wasn't paying attention to Duncan because I was paying attention to this horrific, like, that's never how I would date somebody with kids. That's never how I would let someone, you know, date me with my son. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's where my focus was. And so the ending of the movie not only resolved Duncan's story for me, but it resolved that complaint that I had from the very beginning of the film on a personal level. Mm. So you want to talk about this? Well, it's just, it's brilliant in so many ways. There's so many moments in this film that mirror other parts or other elements of film of the film. But yeah, it's it's that moment where the most powerful part is at the start of the film, uh, Tony Collette's character, it's Pam. There we go. That's her name. I always, I had to write all the character names down because <laughs> I, I, I can barely remember as much as I love this film. So Pam at the start of the film, she's asleep like, figuratively and literally while Trent is being a douche or being an asshole to Duncan. That's the first thing you see. Then at mm-hmm. the end of the film, she everything's uncovered. She sees what Duncan is truly and what he can be when he is allowed to thrive. And you also see what he can be like when he's being, you know, suffocated or pushed down and pushed aside. And she sees that and she sees what Trent really is. And she chooses Duncan. She makes chooses her son. decision. And that's yeah. it. And that's the right decision. And I don't need any more films. I'd love to see more films, but I don't think it could be this perfect of just like she chooses him. And that's all he ever needed. He just needed someone on his side. And it's just, it makes the ending so perfect for me because like, I don't need to know what else happens because I kind of already know she's going to prioritize Duncan over Trent. And that's, you, Trent should fuck off. But like, well, and it. it's a nice contrast to something she had told Duncan in the prior scene when Duncan didn't want to leave and said, so we're just leaving with them. We can't, we could just stay here. We're just leaving with him. And she tells Duncan, uh, we do things to protect ourselves because we're scared. And the implication is she's staying with asshole because she knows that he will take care of them because she's scared of what life is going to be like on her own. And so that just brought even more power into that last, her climbing over the seats to ride with her son in the back of the car is like, just that's a powerful and almost wordless moment. Because the only real moments you have is Steve Carell yelling her name, which is a little weird after the office for him to be yelling Pam, but... So we're just a bit of the office before we start recording, actually, with dinner. So that's quite, that's quite a good one. Yeah, I mean, the, the ending, uh, it, it's just one of those films where I would, if someone watches this film and like that AA Doid guy or whatever his name was, if you watch this film and you genuinely don't enjoy it, my, my question, there's only a few films I have which I kind of pose this question, which is just like, what do you actually want in a film? Like, if you watch this and go, 
it's not for me because I'm just I only like action movies and that's it. It's like okay, fair play. You know yeah. what you like. That's okay. But if you're like, oh, I'm a film buff. I love movies. And then you watch this and go, this sucks. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> well, what do you want? <laughs> and that's, again, that's why I was a little surprised. 83% Rotten Tomatoes and 68% at Metacritic. Like, there's, mm. there's a gap there. All right. There what else did you want to talk about about the way, way back before we move into our end games? What have we not talked about that you wanted to make sure we, we hit on? So um, I was, there's two small things, I think. Um, you know, there's general things of like, you know, the whole film certainly shows issues and red flags and foreshadows. And when you rewatch it, you pick up on a lot of those things. Um, there's a lot of metaphors and things. Every character has a lot of journey and things. You see them doing stuff and it kind of plays out later. They're just footnote things. But the two main things is Trent is always rude with requests, which is one thing I've noticed. Whenever he asks someone to do something, he never says please. He's never polite. Yeah. The, the, like even, uh, what was it? Um, those bags aren't going to carry themselves. Exactly. Not like just like, hey, Duncan, could you uh, could you carry the bags in, please, champ? Or something. That's like if I was like a stepdad, I'd be, and I'm trying to you know be nice to a kid. Obviously, he's not trying to be nice. But I'd be like, oh, could, oh, if it's not too much trouble, could you just grab a couple of those bags? If you can't grab them all, that's fine. But if you could just carry what you can, that'd be really helpful. Rather than the bags aren't going to carry themselves. It's like you don't need to be an asshole. Like there's no manners cost nothing in a lot of ways. And it's just when he asks Duncan to clean up the plates. Uh, excuse me, in this house we clean up after ourselves, Mister. It's like you just say, oh, Duncan, could you just pop that plate in the sink for me, please, mate. That's it. Right. And it, it takes no more effort to be nicer. So, yeah, him being rude of request is, and, is a big element. And this is a British man saying that, ladies and gentlemen, who started <laughs> the show saying that they're always complaining and grumpy. So <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. And uh, the, the other big thing is sort of, I'd say, the, the massive, the biggest point in the film, I'd say, which is... I love it in films when characters yell. Not when they yell uh, in stupid moments necessarily, but when it's emotional and their voice gets louder because they're emotional about it. When And this almost makes me cry as well. When Duncan, and they're at the... It's nighttime and stuff, and she's, he's just seen um, Trent, I think, and Joan making out or whatever, and, or maybe the scene after that, but he basically is there and everyone's there. And he says to his mum, like, Mum, what are you doing? And she's just like starting to cry. And he's like... Can't you see what he's doing? Everyone here can see exactly what he's doing. Why aren't you looking at this? And he's just making a big scene. And he's just yelling. And mm-hmm. it's like, that's the moment where Duncan kind of grabs life in a sense. And is just, he takes it and he stands up for himself and he goes for Trent. He literally pushes Trent. Trent is about to hit him and Kip has to like hold Trent back. He was about to punch a 14 year old kid. I wanted him to just sock Trent <laughs> <laughs> I know I would have loved that and in KO him or something but it kind of makes it more powerful he didn't because Trent yep. judging by the body language and things once again hands up to Steve Carell such a surprisingly diverse actor for so many things but it's like the fact that he was literally and you see the anger on his face he was gonna beat the shit out of Duncan even though he's a kid in front of him and it's like but he's in the wrong this kid has outed you for doing something that's your mistake and you're willing to cause physical pain to this kid even more so you're a piece of shit and yeah. that moment is just is so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have seen Steve Carell do, uh, as you said, quite diverse work. And I, I mean, I love him in, in comedic roles, uh, but uh, some of his traumatic stuff has been astonishing as well, including, uh, I believe, one. Yeah. One that's coming up on the algorithm says here in just a second. But uh, I really enjoyed this performance, too. This was unlike anything else I'd seen, because the like when he does dramatic, he tends to be the sympathetic character. And here he mm-hmm. is. He's not. He's an asshole. <laughs> yeah most people when they see this film they say to me two things they go man this film is amazing uh, often people say the soundtrack's really good as well which i agree it is with. yeah um but they say i didn't realize steve Carell could play an asshole but he played one of the biggest assholes i've ever seen in my life and it's like yeah that's how good he is you can be he can play every role of the spectrum you play him like michael from the office where he starts off like a bumbling buffoon that you kind of hate and he gets worse and worse and then there's this moment where you go actually i feel kind of bad for this guy and then you kind of 
are on the journey with him a little bit more. But in this, you're like, ah, oh, Steve Carell, he's in this film. He's going to be fun or funny or like 40-year-old virgin Steve Carell, whatever. And then you see him and you're like, God, he sucks. And then you're like, oh, maybe he's going to get better. And by the end, it's like, no, he's worse. <laughs> How did he do this? <laughs> All right, let's move into the end credits here. Uh, a couple of games before we're done. First up, we have The Algorithm Says. This is a list of movies that various algorithms say you will like because you like The Way Way Back. So this is kind of a lightning round of responses. Mm -hmm. Do you like these movies? Do you not know these movies? Do you not see how they're connected? That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. All right. First up, The Kings of Summer. I've never even heard of that film. Yeah, I, uh, I it was one that I was... Uh, like, I can see why it's connected. Uh, it's from... Um, uh, 2013, hmm. but it looks like it's an independent film as well. Because oh, I don't. The, oh, it has Nick Offerman. It has Nick Offerman in it, though. Ooh, so I, I like know. Nick Offerman. Sorry, and, what was that film called? Actually, I'm going to take it. And note Megan Mullally. Uh, it's um, um, the Kings of Summer. Kings of Summer. Oh, cool. Right. Yeah. I might end up just writing loads of lists now. So, <laughs> uh, on to the next one. <laughs> uh, it's kind of a funny story. I can't remember if I've seen that one. Um, is that with Steve Carell in it? Uh, no, it has. Um, Oh, what's his name from the Hangover movies? Um, oh, uh, the Bradley Cooper, Ed Helms, uh, Zach Galifianakis. Zach, it has Zach Galifianakis in it. It's a, in a mental institution. It's a teenager who's feeling depressed, oh. and so he institutionalizes himself. No, I haven't seen that one. It's, no. I liked it. Like, it's been oh, okay. ages. I haven't seen it since it was in the theater, but I loved it. It was, mm. to me, it's almost tragic because it's based on a novel, and the mm. author of the novel did eventually commit suicide. Oh, okay. um, but it had one of those really simplistic poignant moments in it where a friend visits him at the mental institution and as he's leaving he turns and he says hey don't kill yourself and mm. it's like man if only it were that simple if only more people took that approach and then of course years later the author then ends up committing suicide so it's kind of sad in that regard uh all right dan in real life i've heard a lot about this film i think i have seen it like years ago because um, uh -huh. it's Steve Carell, and I, yes. I know the, the, I think he's laying on a sandwich or something in the the, the, yes. the cover. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure I've seen this, but like so many years ago, I can barely remember. It. It's kind of one of those uh, he plays quite like a depressed kind of guy in in a sense, and he's just kind of stuck in in almost like a midlife crisis -y sort of thing. I've seemed to vaguely remember. Yep. So yeah, I have seen that. <laughs> okay, Adventureland. I have, and that is a very weak film, if you ask me. Oh, really? I went, yeah, I went into that expecting loads, because it was in the time where like, Zombieland came out, and I was right. like, oh man, you know, Jesse Eisenberg, he can do no wrong, and then and Social Network was phenomenal. And then I watched that, and I was like, it just kind of didn't hit the right mark for me. I don't know, I watched it around the same time as watching this movie, but I was just like, it just felt a bit flat. But then yeah. Kirsten Stewart's in it, and I don't have a massive problem with her, but I don't think she ever really shines right if i'm being yeah. honest that's kind of i have yet to see her do that so yeah I, I i can understand i liked it when i saw it but it's been ages since i saw that one okay little miss sunshine this is the film i was one of the films i was referring to it's and made by too. the studio who made this <laughs> yeah this is the steve Carell sympathetic character right i, exactly. I love little miss sunshine uh, yeah. i think it's absolutely brilliant um but i i prefer this film slightly more okay uh enough said i haven't seen that one I have to remember which one it is. Uh, oh, that's James Gandolfini's last film. Right. No, no, I haven't seen that. Okay. That's one that I'm like, I don't quite see how they connect, but okay. <laughs> uh, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. Uh, that's a cracking movie. Yeah, that's Michael Cera and Kat Dennings. Yeah, right. I've seen that. Really, really good film. It's one of those other films which like, not a massive amount happens, but it's just like a snapshot in people's life and it's pleasant. So okay. I, I, I enjoy that one. Uh, the Secret Life of Walter Mitty. 
That is a film that I have been told to watch by everyone because they basically say it's the new generation's Forrest Gump and the soundtrack's amazing. Mm-hmm. And I love Forrest Gump and I like films with good soundtracks. And I've heard nothing but great things about this film and I keep not watching it. <laughs> so I just have, have you seen it? I've done an episode on it. Yeah. It's, oh, wow. uh, and it's, it's, uh, f- listeners listen to that episode. I talk quite about how the, my opinion of it and has, has transformed since I originally saw it in theaters and then watched it, I guess it was last year for the podcast. Um, nice. yeah, it's, it's definitely worth checking out. Wow. Cool. Uh, St. Vincent. No, not seen that. Okay. And lastly, Grown Ups 2. I've seen both Grown Ups 1 and 2. So, yeah, that's not a bad film. I'm surprised Juno wasn't on this list. Because the two films I was referring to at the start was Juno and Little Miss Sunshine. Because they're both, when this film was advertised, it was like the studio that brought you Juno and Little Miss Sunshine. Right. And yeah, like, Juno I, was not on any of the algorithms. I mean, there's there's always more, because I try to narrow it down to 10 for the purposes mm-hmm. of this game. Uh, but Juno did not pop up on either of the algorithms, no. That's weird because Nick because for me it's almost like the trifecta is kind of like Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, um, and then the film I literally just said Little Miss Sunshine it. Juno, Little Miss, uh, Little Miss Sunshine Juno, and this film are like a nice trifecta, and like Nick Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist is kind of like an add on to that. I feel like the four films work quite well where they've got depressing themes, they've got good music, nothing's overly hilarious, nothing's overly dramatic, but it's just people. So gotcha. I think those four films connect quite well. All right, last up, we have uh, a little pop quiz for multiple choice questions based on the movie. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Number one, writer, director, and actor Jim Rash said his, the main inspiration for the script was what scene which was inspired by an event from his own life? A, trying to pass someone on the water slide. B, the awkward dinner party where the affair is revealed. C, asking what Duncan is on a scale of 1 to 10. Or D, the farewell party for the employee who just doesn't quit. I feel like it's the second or third one. So I'm going to say, I think the rating one. It is the rating one. Jim Rash said his stepfather asked him that question, and that was the kind of what became the, the, the first thing and the inspiration for the overall script. Nice. Yeah. Again, who does that? <laughs> Jim Nash's ex, hopefully ex-stepdad, clearly. <laughs> yeah, good point. Uh, number two, scouting for locations, Jim Rash would often take pictures of beach houses that he felt would make good filming locations. During actual production, he discovered one of the houses he photographed belonged to the relatives of which cast member? A, Steve Carell, B, Tony Collette, C, Sam Rockwell, or D, his own relatives? Let's do Sam Rockwell. Uh, no, it's Steve Carell's in-laws. See, One I of the houses that'd be too obvious because I thought I was like Steve Carell sounds feels like he'd have a wealthier family, and I was like, no, it's going to be as curveball. No, I just <laughs> Sam Rockwell got excited. Well, and and this didn't make it into the uh, the pop quiz, but we didn't discuss it. But Steve Carell turned this picture down because he spends his summers at a at a beach house in uh, Massachusetts, and wow. then discovered that that's where they were going to be filming. <laughs> so he went ahead and signed on because it's like, well, hey, I can go do my family vacation and make this movie. Oh, I'm so happy he was in this as well. <laughs> uh, number three, the script was originally titled The Way Back, but was adjusted to The Way Way Back after a movie came out in 2010 with that same name. What does the title actually refer to? A, the back seat of the station wagon. B, the solemn drive home at the end. C, Duncan's path back to happiness. Or D, the return to film for television comedians Faxon and Rash. I think it's the second one, the 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 way way back, so going back home or whatever. No, it's the what they called the back seat of the station wagon. That back folding seat was called the ba- the way back seat. Uh, oh well. <laughs> 
All right, last one. Uh, the loudspeaker featured in the movie provided an opportunity for joking around and improvisation, at least until one cast member accidentally made some inappropriate jokes on it when children were around, leading to them having to apologize to the owner of the park. Which cast member was it? A, Steve Carell, B, Allison Janney, C, Maya Rudolph, or D, Sam Rockwell? Sam Rockwell! It I was Sam Rockwell. Yes. <laughs> and I, I, I don't know if that's the joke that appears in the film, but it apparently it was related to like herpes and stuff, and there is a line about herpes in the movie, so who knows if that's the, the, the one that got him in trouble. Sam Rockwell does strike me as the kind of guy who, um, he reminds me of my, one of my older brothers, actually. My, my brother's 17 years older than me, he showed me this. I've got a brother who's slightly older than that, who's like 21 years older than me he's that kind of guy where he shows off trying to be funny and it's all funny until it's not and then when right. you're like okay you need to kind of ease up a bit and they ramp themselves up further and it's like no i shouldn't have told you just to wind in because now you're twice as loud <laughs> <laughs> all right man uh where can people find you what do you want to promote you can find me on social media at Genuine Chit Chat. That is the name of my flagship podcast. I, it's an interview style show. It's quite informal and things. I just talk to people about things generally that they are passionate about. I have spoken to a blind Australian filmmaker, a magister for the Church of Satan, uh, a puppeteer who worked with Jim Henson on Dark Crystal and Labyrinth and created the character Salacious Crumb, which is the little quacky <laughs> monkey lizard. That's a perfect impression right, in Return yeah. of the Jedi. Um, so that's my flagship show. I talk to artists, authors, actors, loads of people. It's different every episode, so go check that out. And my other show is Star Wars Comics in Canon. If you've never read a Star Wars comic in your life, or if you've read every single one of them, which I'd be impressed if you have, uh, if you enjoy Star Wars in any way, check out Star Wars Comics in Canon. It's on the Genuine Chit Chats YouTube channel, or it's on the feed of Comics in Motion. Every Saturday, I go through a different batch of Star Wars comics. I talk about the stories, the narratives, and mainly the connective tissue because everyone, like, you read a Star Wars comic, it's like, who's that person I vaguely recognize? If you listen to my show, I will tell you who they are and where you recognize them from. So they're my two shows. But yeah, follow me on social media at Genuine Chit Chat. I post about both the shows, photos, snippets of the interviews, uh, photos of the comics, all kinds of stuff, and occasionally photos of my tortoise. So yeah, lots <laughs> well, of fun. I can't turn that down. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Thank you. As I said, I just... I loved this movie. This is probably I'm one so of the best movies I've seen recently, and I, I wouldn't have watched it if you hadn't uh, brought it for the show, so thank you. Well, thank you for having me on. It's been absolutely delightful, and I'm so happy that you enjoyed it. I just one of those things, if I recommend either musical movies to someone and they like it at all, it just makes me so happy. And the fact that you're so passionate about liking this makes me even more passionate about liking it, so thank you. So that does it for this week, but you can keep the conversation going throughout the week on social media, share your thoughts about The Way Way Back, or maybe tell me about a movie you'd like to come on the show and talk about. You can find me at Talon Hess on Twitter and Letterboxd, that's T-A-L-N-H-E-S-S, or the show at Have Not Seen This on Twitter, on Facebook where at Have Not Seen This Podcast, or you can email me at HaveNotSeenThis at gmail.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. This podcast is available through all major podcast sources. Positive ratings and reviews are always welcome, as is just sharing the podcast with a friend and spreading the love. And if you heard the promo, you know that uh, Pod Review Day is coming up. So make sure to participate in that and give one of your podcasts some love. Special thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song, and thanks to Mike Burton for providing this week's conversation. Until next week, I'm Rave Telsh, and this has been Have Not Seen This. Be kind to each other.